It's time for episode 70 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 14, 2015. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that's like a ticking time bomb, but the only thing that explodes is your understanding. Stay in school, kids. I am your host, Jason Snell, and my fellow host across the country from me, as always, Mr. Dan Warren. Hello. Hi, Jason. I do not understand that introduction at all. It's an after-school special. Oh, I'm blo- okay. We're blowing people's minds. We're I a time bomb McG- that explodes your understanding. <laughs> I only know McGruff the Crime Dog. All right, take a take a bite out of time. Well played. Well Regret played. the time, dog. This show yes. is already over. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we started. Uh, to my left is uh, is a person who's been on this podcast many a time. She's back again. She works at iMore these days, and she is our former colleague from the MacWorld days at Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hi. Good How to are have you, back. Jason? I'm, I'm doing good. Great. I'm glad to be here. I'm a little sick and under the weather. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm about just that. getting over a cold myself. Yeah. Good old winter. Ah. Uh, the worst. And to my left, another returning guest, the one of the, uh, I believe, a co-founder of our lovely Relay FM network and the proprietor of 512 Pixels, Stephen Hackett. Welcome back, Stephen. Hey, guys. How is everybody? I believe you're the co-founder, too. I believe you're the founder. I don't believe in Mike Hurley. I don't think he exists. <laughs> he is from some magical land. I don't, yeah. England? Yeah. I've never heard I of mean, that. I mean, there's no way the metric system is real. Come on. No. The crock. No. A lie. Hmm. Uh, anyway, this is Clockwise. We're gonna we we've introduced our guests. We're gonna talk about four different topics. We're gonna take uh, just a little time to do it, and we'll be done in half an hour. That's how the show works. I am the uh, person who wrote the and and read the completely incomprehensible <laughs> introduction. So let Smooth. me go first, and with my topic, um, there was so lots and lots of talk about that twelve-inch MacBook rumor, um, thinner, lighter, losing lots of ports. And I want to take a step back and ask all of you, is Apple ever going to stop making things thinner and lighter? What is the point at which it's too thin, it's too light? When and why do you think Apple will finally say, enough is enough, let's do other stuff, rather than continue to just make everything thinner and lighter as a top priority? Serenity, what do you think? Battery life. Honestly, um, I would prefer my devices be slightly heavier and slightly thicker at the expense of, you know, having a little more functionality and a little bit more battery life. I get that Joni Ive wants to make uh, laptops that can also slice butter and steak. Um, But, you know, I also like my laptops to be functional. And while, like, you know, I I wrote wrote my own piece on the 12-inch MacBook Air last week, I, um, I really like the machine's idea in some ways, but I, you know, I value having a a lightweight MacBook that's super tiny, but also super functional. Um, I don't know when the when the tipping point will be for Apple. I mean, it may just be that they go too far, and the community is basically like, "Nope, sorry, Apple, we're not going to buy this." Like you have you have stripped down too many things. Um, but at the same time, we saw that with the original MacBook Air, and though the original MacBook Air didn't sell super well, subsequent variations of the MacBook Air sold like gangbusters. So, you know, it may it may just be that Apple is continually saying to us, you know, take the bitter medicine. Uh, sorry, we're going to keep on making things thinner and lighter, and we're not going to really increase battery life. We're just going to sort of shoot for that same general area at the expense of, you know, an extra .001 millimeter off your laptop. 
Uh, I think the point at which things become too thin is when the inevitably when Apple customers start start cutting themselves on their Apple products. I think yep. that is the point at which we've decided this is the, the razor thin uh, edges. Perhaps you took too literally. Um, you know, it's interesting, even with the iPhone 6, I find at times that it, it seems too thin because I do feel like it, it lacks some of the heft and, and reassuring solidness of the earlier iPhones. Uh, I think there's, you know, obviously there's a physical limit at some point. You see those like concepts every once in a while, people like, look, in the future, our smartphones will be like one little like sheet of glass. <laughs> and it's like, that looks totally unusable. Um, so I, I think that obviously we'll run into physical constraints sooner rather than later because unless they invent a major revamp in battery life, as Ren was saying, you know, they start to run out of space to actually accomplish that. You're already seeing problems because, you know, you look at the iPhone 6 and the camera uh, with a little protruding lens and you have some, you know, physical limitations in terms of distance for, uh, you know, providing a good camera lens. So we don't, you're not going to want a, an iPhone where the lens starts protruding like an inch out of the back. Uh, so I feel like I have a hard time seeing it get much thinner than the iPhone 6. Then again, I feel like I say that every year. <laughs> they mm-hmm. keep making it thinner anyways. Um, so, uh, and as for lightness, I feel like, you know, there is a lot of worry of, you know, stuff that just doesn't have that heft to it that makes it feel like it, there's actually something in there. The air is pretty darn light already. It's hard for me to imagine any, anything lighter than that either. That said, I'm sure they'll come out and do that if that uh, 12-inch MacBook materializes. So I'm hoping we're approaching the point because it seems like there's diminishing returns after a while, but I'm not convinced that they've fully satisfied, slaked their thirst for thin, light gadgets yet. You know, you talked about the the iPhone and the protruding camera lens. What gets me with the phone, and even with the iPad Air 2, which is just crazy thin is that it's getting hard to hold onto these things like Mm. i've dropped my phone six way more than any previous phone and and not because it's i don't think it's because it's rounded on the edges i think because like there's just not a lot of material to like put in between my fingers to hold onto it you're kind of holding it like a little crab hands (laughs) uh like i need a pair of tweezers to pick this thing up and um i definitely understand thin like being thin and being light on a laptop i'm all for losing weight if you got to carry it around but on a phone, especially that's in and out of your pocket, you know, you're putting it in a mount in your car, you're putting it on a thing on your, you know, your dresser. Like you're always, you're always moving around your phone and your tablet. And as they get smaller and thinner, it's just harder to hold on to it, and I think easier to let it like slide out of your hands and rattle across the floor, which is sad for everyone. Yeah, I, I, um, I want to end. I think those are all great answers. I, I was going to answer with a little bit of a, a meta answer, which is I think there's going to be a, a product that is a failure for Apple because it's too compromised or it's too hard to hold. Or perhaps, Dan, perhaps somebody will horribly cut themselves with the edge of it. And there will be a recalibration at that point. Because I do think we, we are reaching the point where getting, as Ren said, more battery life is going to be more important. I, I think the iPhones are thin enough, for example, and that uh, we've actually seen with the iPhone 6, the battery life is going up. And maybe they're not as thin as uh, as they could be, or maybe it's just that because they've increased the surface area a little bit. I don't know. I, I uh, There's got to be an edge, but it's a little bit like calculating when, I don't know, something becomes a black hole or something like that. It's like, what is the event horizon of Apple thinness and lightness? I don't know if we've reached it yet, but you got to think it's coming soon because there's a lot of stuff that they could do uh, in terms of battery life and uh, power efficiency if they say, this is good enough. The one-dimensional phone that just folds mm-hmm. in on itself. Yeah, well, don't even get into the flexible stuff. Once once you can just fold it up and put it in your pocket, then who knows? Oh, I meant like, I meant like space-time. 
Well, that's true too. Well, my pockets Tesseract phone. My pockets bigger on the inside. Anyway, that's a great answer. Uh, thanks, Serenity. What is your topic for us? My topic. Well, I was at CES last week, um, and one of the strange topics to come out of CES was the um, the Westgate Pavilion of CES, which has a lot of stuff from China and Japan. Had uh, a whopping three different vendors selling Fopple, what I'm calling Fopple watches, which are basically <laughs> Apple watches that either were non-functional um, but perfect hardware prototypes, or were um, mildly functional, but definitely not running any version of iOS that I've ever seen. Um, and though I was not able to get, I was able to touch one, but I was not able to get my hands on one and to, to take it away. Oh, just like the Apple um, watch. Yes. Surprise. <laughs> um, but it, for me, it kind of made me want an Apple watch more. Cause I was like, Oh, right. This thing is really cool. Even if this thing is a fake version of the thing, that's really cool that I, that I'm really looking forward to. Um, it sort of reminded me that like, this is coming and this is probably coming in the next couple months. And, uh, I, I, I'm starting to like get excited and really think about like the feasible applications of the Apple watch, um, in my day to day life. And I don't know if you guys, I was kind of curious, like, uh, it's been a couple months since the Apple Watch announcements. We've got a couple months to go before we supposedly see Apple Watches showing up on our front doorstep. Are you still excited? Kind of eh on the Apple Watch? Uh, you know, what are thoughts? You know, it's funny. I was just uh, on the episode of The Rebound that we were recording the other day. Uh, Lex and John Moltz and I were discussing, this is not the first faux Apple Watch. If you might remember at Macworld Expo in 2013, there was the Starfish Watch, which was this crazy thing that they claimed they could like project an iOS display oh, on yeah. this tiny little watch, which Lies. was total vaporware. <laughs> um, and in fact, they actually threatened Lex and I at one point with like, no, we're done talking to you. Um, but I, I think... I am still pretty excited about the Apple Watch. It seems like we, there's so many questions that we still haven't answered yet that will dip, like the answers to those will dictate whether this is actually something that we use in our everyday life. And I'm really excited to see what developers come up with in terms of you know the stuff they've been working on in the past few months as Apple's released the SDK for the watch. So uh, I am still pretty intrigued. I, I think I will go out and get one when it comes out just because I think this has the potential. It may not be you know an iPhone size market, but I think it is one of the most innovative devices that we've seen in a while. And we've seen a lot of attempts to create really interesting smartwatches and wearable devices that really push things forward. But I don't think anybody's quite cracked it yet. And the Apple Watch, at least in this initial form, still might not be it. But I think it's the most promising device we've seen in that category thus far. And, you know, as with all of us being Apple fans, everything Apple does is at least worth, you know, sort of watching because they do seem to set the trends for the industry for a large part. So I'm really excited and I'm looking forward to wearing a watch again after all low these many years. Yeah, I always find it funny, especially during CES, but Engadget used to have what they called a curf, a keeping it real fake. It was this whole <laughs> series of things. Do uh, you guys remember this? It was like, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was real popular um, in the early iPhone days where you would have, I mean, like the second you looked at it, if you knew what you were doing, it was obviously not real, but sold as real. Um, so, I mean, Apple hardware has always been copied by just, you know, random people with factories, I guess, or you know, people making them by hand. I don't know. But um, uh, back in the iPod days when I was a, a genius at the local Apple store, we had, on more than one occasion had someone come in and be like, oh, my iPod isn't working. And they're like, put it on the counter. You're like, that's not a real iPod. You know, like <laughs> these things make it out into the real world, especially there was a ton of iPod shuffle, like knockoffs floating around for a while. 
Um, so like it's sad and for these people who have to make these things, but it's I think equally sad for people who end up owning something that's clearly uh, not real. And I definitely think we're going to see a lot more of it with the watch, maybe because it's a fashion accessory and because you know it's. I think with the iPhone, it tapered off because iPhones are everywhere now and people know what they look like and it's harder to, to put that sort of stuff into the market. But I, I imagine that Serenity's watch she saw in Las Vegas is one of many to come. Well, they haven't oh, yeah. stopped making fake Rolexes yet, right? So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if what you're looking for is to be seen with a device that looks like an iPhone or an Apple Watch, then... Um, I, I kind of don't have a problem with it. I mean, other than the the just general weirdness of having a, uh, a duplicate, but then it's like fake fashion. But what my problem is if somebody thinks that it's the real deal and they get something that instead has a feature called anti-lost on it, uh, which nobody who wrote about it at, at CES seems to understand exactly what it was or how it worked. And uh, the anti-lost, it, ma- it made me laugh. I mean, some people really just don't like the last episode of Lost is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, but I'm in general, I'm looking forward to, to the Apple Watch. And I mean, it's a whole new platform from Apple. It's going to be weird and different and there's going to be crazy quirks and everybody's going to be curious and we're, we get to write lots of stories about it and talk about it on podcasts. And for those reasons, I'm especially interested in it. And having used uh, Pebble Watch for a couple of years, uh, I'm really interested to see how Apple's take on the, you know, what is Apple's official take on the smartwatch uh, genre of product i'm really looking forward to it so yeah i, I feel like the the apple watch excitement is uh, gearing up again like we're 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 we're, we're uh winding up the excitement no oh, watch man. puns i gotta work on them i'm working on some new watch <laughs> oh puns. man you work on it you have a podcast about time yeah it's become know. natural to you yeah i know we gotta throw them in there it's gonna be the, the apple watch is the gotta be the perfect thing for clockwise because uh yeah you know, you already had your first round of applause, so give that give that man a second hand. Oh, damn. Second hand? Oh, boy. Serenity, have, oh, we, yeah. have we satisfied you with our ridiculous answers? You have. All right. I appreciate uh, it. Excellent. Well, that is two topics down. Two more to go. It's halftime. Our halftime sponsor this week is Global Delight, makers of the Boom 2, the root of all good audio. Boom 2. It's a pro audio app for the Mac. It offers system-wide volume boosting. I, re- I have fond memories of the original version of Boom being demoed by Serenity Caldwell herself on the floor in a conference room at Macworld Expo where all the editors are gathered around trying to decide <laughs> what's going to be the best to show. And, it, and the first version won best of show. So advanced equalizer control and presets, amazing audio effects, and much more. This indispensable app was built from scratch. It's designed especially for Yosemite. It's tailored to calibrate itself to suit your Mac since no two Macs are the same. Louder, clearer, and better with personalized and customized sound to suit every occasion. Boom 2 gives you the power to fine-tune and control every single element of audio coming out of your Mac. Spotify, Netflix, YouTube, iTunes, and every other service out there is going to sound a whole lot better on your Mac speakers. You can try Boom 2 for free from the Boom 2 website, and it's also now available on the Mac App Store. Go to bit.ly.com slash clockwiseboom2. That's bit.ly.com slash clockwiseboom2 and the numeral two to check it out for yourself. And thanks so much to Global Delight and Boom 2 for sponsoring the halftime show of Clockwise. All right, second halftime. Dan, what's your topic? 
So the iPod Touch. Uh, it's been a really long time since Apple updated the iPod Touch. The fifth generation iPod Touch dates back to September 2012. Um, <laughs> so it's basically an iPhone 5 era device. And they've made a couple tweaks to the line, mainly like storage related things in the last few years. They had that weird one for a while, which didn't have like a camera on the back and stuff like that. And then they quietly got rid of that one. Um, but it really hasn't, you know, we haven't seen a, a six series iPod touch so my question is what is the future of the ipod touch you guys think is this a device i mean we've seen it be really popular as far as the ipod category itself goes but as the ipod sales are declining is there still room for the ipod touch does it have a future what do you guys think steven i I think the ipod touch definitely suffers from its like parent brand sinking you know uh they recently killed off the ipod classic and the shuffle and nano are still around but like It's not doing very well. So I think that's definitely part of it. But I can't help but wonder if the iPod Touch has just been swallowed up by low-cost iPad minis. You know, at the fall event, they kept all those old iPad minis around. They kept getting cheaper. And and you can get an iPod Touch for $199, but before long, you are getting near iPad mini territory budget-wise for, you know, a much bigger screen and, and if you think about who uses an iPod Touch, in my mind, it's kids. And kids, I've got kids, they play games and they watch movies. And those those two things are better on an iPad mini. And so I think it's a, a case where Apple has sort of eaten away its own product with a, with a new product, one that's more expensive, which Apple always likes. And uh, so I don't know what they're going to do with it, but I, I think that the uh, the iPad mini is holding the smoking gun over <laughs> over the open grave of the iPod Touch. Damn it, Stephen! Why do you have to be so right? Um, I because I don't have a lot to say. I think that's it. I, I think when when even the staunchest uh, fans of the uh, of the iPod Touch, like John Syracuse, have have cracked and are now using iPhones. Um, I, and yeah, I think the iPad Mini is the solution if you want an iOS device that is uh, that is not a phone. I think that's I think that's it, and I think that is what's draining away interest in the iPod Touch. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I, I actually am not sure if we will ever see a new iPod Touch again, or if it's just going to fade away. Um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see, but but I, I I just have to reinforce what Steven said. I think the I think the iPad Mini especially calls into question the existence. I, I realize there are use cases for it, so you know people shouldn't be mad when I say this. I'm not saying there aren't any. I'm saying there may not be enough to uh, justify Apple investing any time and effort into doing a new version of the iPod Touch. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have to agree with both of you in that uh, the iPod Touch was really unique when it was the only iOS device um, that was available off contract, you know, when the iPhone first came out, having an iPod Touch is kind of like, oh, it's like the iPhone, except I don't have to give my kid a cell phone plan. Phew. Um, but now that we have a we have the iPad and on top of that, we have iPads that can connect that can have data plans without necessarily having a cell phone plan. It provides a whole nother avenue for pr- parents to have that. The only reason why I could see Apple potentially keeping the iPod touch around is if they wanted to do some kind of connected camera apart from the iPhone line. Apple is very interested and invested in making the iPhone's camera as awesome as it possibly can be. And they're in fact, one of the considered on multiple sites, you know, one of the, one of the top 
mobile camera makers, despite being technically a phone manufacturer and iOS device manufacturer, their cameras are are quite good. So I could see the iPod Touch potentially moving from music player and app player to let's focus really hard on the camera features. But then it comes back to the same problem that the iPod Touch has had from day one, which is it's really hard to get the carriers to agree to providing data access for something that's the same size as an iPhone. Um, and I really don't think that any kind of like a connected camera from Apple wouldn't succeed unless it had data. Yeah, I, I think you guys kind of all hit the nail on the head here, especially with the competition provided by the iPad mini um, and, and the lack of a, of a cellular data connection, I think, has definitely uh, really hampered the iPod Touch's adoption because so much of it, so much of what we do with our iOS devices is related to thing being on the network. And while Wi-Fi is great, there are lots of places where you can't get Wi-Fi. So, you know, giving your, uh, an iPod Touch to a kid in the back of a car on a long car trip, well, you know, they might be kind of limited in what they can do. Um, whereas, you know, with an iPad mini or something, they can get it, still get online. Uh, I, it's, it was always an interesting device because, you know, I would see a lot of comparisons, people saying, oh, there, there really aren't any Android devices that do what the iPod Touch does. There are no non-smartphone Android devices. And maybe, you know, Apple just found the perfect time to sort of take advantage of that little niche. But as as time goes on, and so many of us also have smartphones, uh, the, the need for an iPod Touch is really kind of dwindled. So I, I think that it's possibly coming to a close. Perhaps the whole iPod line itself is is sort of dwindling and, and it's well past its heyday. Um, and the iPod Touch might have been the last sort of bastion of its success, but I, I do think that it seems like unless they come up with a really clever thing to do, and I, I would love to see one with a built-in cellular data plan because you could kind of get away from the phone pricing model. And if Apple, which occasionally decides it wants to take on, you know, sort of the the big industries decided it wanted to go against uh, the uh, cell phone providers. I could see them perhaps drawing a line in the sand there, but it also may not be terribly likely just given with all the problems they've had with iPad sales as well. So thank you all. Steven, do you have a topic for us? I do, and it's related to uh, dying bits of Apple's former (laughs) music glory. Uh, so there, there's an article out this week that the uh, single of the week, which was a, an iTunes feature apparently for 11 years, which seems insane. From the um, very beginning. Yeah, that, that's gone now. And so, you know, there's a lot of conversation about uh, iTunes and kind of what we just talked about in general. But basically the story is that the, the iTunes single of the week promotion, which was a free music single download every week, uh, is gone. And there were some people who were sad about that. What, uh, what do you guys think? I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss forgetting to go and check and see what the free single is. <laughs> I'm going to miss looking in my... Li- well, no, I'm not, because the, all the free singles I downloaded and turned out I didn't like are all still in my iTunes iCloud library. And I guess I could probably hide them or delete them permanently, but I don't. And so the, I'm like, what? what is this artist? And Oh, right, that was a free iTunes single from 2009. Um, so, I'm, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't take advantage of it. I always, I always thought it would be better if they did something like push those to you, although the U2 album, I guess, would yeah. the people would freak it out. But I always thought it would be like, hey, let me know when there's a new signal and I'll listen to it and I'll decide if I want to keep it. But I just, I, I forgot that it was there and... You know, and, uh, you know, the elephant in the room here is that how many people are downloading music and adding it to their iTunes accounts versus just exploring on streaming services. And I still I still listen to a lot of music that I own, um, but I don't use iTunes uh, promotional singles for music discovery. If I'm going to do that, I will go to Pandora or I will go to Beats or, or uh, Spotify or something like that and do it. So I, I 
you know, it's it, it sort of, uh, it's a, an end of an era, but other than those songs from artists I've never heard of that are still in my iTunes library, I'm not gonna, you know, my life wasn't particularly impacted by it. Yeah, you know, um, the early days, I actually remember using Single of the Week a lot. Like, we're, you know, back when the iTunes store first launched, in part because I was a poor high school college student who, you know, didn't, uh, didn't have much money to spend on music. So I was like, oh, this is a good way to, like, learn about new, new artists and also get music that I don't have to pay for. Um, which, you know, some of those ended up uh, invest me being me investing in artists like Polly Palsima, who's a like, great guitar artist that I found from a single way back in 2002. But I think the key thing there is way back. You know, I, um, I definitely haven't listened to a single of the week in probably six or seven years. Um, and as much as I think it was a great discovery tool, there are better, you know, there are better places and better tools for music discovery now. Um, for that matter, iTunes radio probably has a, a, a station that's all like new and interesting artists. And mm. that does it, that does the trick just as well as art, you know, downloading songs that you can then potentially never down, you know, remove from your, from your library. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit like nostalgic to see it go, but I understand. Yeah. Like Jason, I never really used it that much on occasion, you know, someone would point me towards a a good song, but, um, I, I think, you know, the downloading music is starting to maybe not dwindle, but it is, um, music consumption has changed a lot. And the fact that we all have devices that are online pretty much constantly has really been a huge boost for streaming services. Uh, we haven't yet, I think, gotten a really clear picture of what Apple intends to do with the acquisition of Beats last year. But I think that may be part and parcel of this in some ways, because I think they're realizing they're going to have to adjust uh, the model of how they provide music because people aren't buying music the way that they used to. I don't, I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, they're not losing money. Um, it's still doing very well, I think. But it's it's clearly there's a sea change going on here. It's it's weird. I, yesterday, I was happened to be walking through a uh, uh, Harvard Square near my house, and uh, I went into a music store, which I haven't done, I think, in like five years. And it was, I was like, oh, they still sell CDs. Well, that's good. I can't remember the last time I bought a CD. Um, but like, you know, that that industry is still around. It's not doing the way it was in the 90s when that was pretty much your only option, but it's still surviving. I think downloads will continue because some people want to own their music, and that's totally fine. But I think streaming is sort of the big and up and coming thing. And as many of you pointed out, it's really hard to convince people to download uh, you know, songs. And there's just really, it's probably not doing a lot to bolster interest in those artists either. There's definitely better ways that uh, they can get their name out there. So I'm not particularly sad to see it go, but I do think it is a sort of a harbinger of the shift that's coming on with music right now. Yeah. I think that shift might be even bigger than download versus streaming. I mean, singles, I mean, since the beginning, like, you know, you, you buy a record for the singles that are on it and the rest of the stuff is just more or less filler for, you know, for a lot of, a lot of musicians and a lot of artists. And so, you know, iTunes, that was the whole thing, right? Like, Hey, you don't have to buy the whole album if you don't want it, just download the songs you want. And uh, the single of the week was like the shining example of that. And so I wonder if even that mainstay of, you know, that it's the single is what drives music sales. Like, I wonder if even that is getting chipped away at by the way people consume music now on streaming services. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. What a weird world we live in. 
<laughs> the, then, then again, music distribution and consumption, I think, was always weird between you know radio stations and and records and singles and labels. Then, yeah, and how yeah. they get promoted and live performances versus stuff that you hear on the radio. And I don't know. It was always weird. It is even weirder now. Maybe in the end, the technology will provide some sort of clarity and we'll be at a purer place. But uh, you know, I'm not going to count on the music industry to provide purity in anything. So I'm sure they'll find a way to ruin it. Hey, Jason, speaking of music, do we have a bonus question today? Uh, we do. Uh, the bonus question today, uh, we, uh, we're we streaming this live on Relay FM uh, right now, and uh, you can tune in. We're going to try to do Clockwise Live uh, Wednesdays at noon Eastern, um, so you can go to relay.fm slash live and listen. Uh, but uh, before we came on, I was playing some music that I randomly selected from iTunes that was time-themed, because this is Clockwise, and I, it got me thinking... Because I hadn't picked a bonus question yet. Uh, got me thinking, what's your favorite time or clock themed song? Serenity, do you have one? Too much time on my okay. hands, it's taken away. <laughs> you don't have to perform it, but thank you for doing that. I don't, Dan and but Steven. It's fun. <laughs> you, you don't You don't have to perform. Uh, but yeah, sticks. A, a vote for sticks there, everybody. Dan? Uh, I think I might have to go with Flight of the Concords, business time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was going for a bold choice. That is very nice. Steven? I'm going to go with Back in Time by Huey Lewis and the News, featured oh. prominently in Back to the Future. Yes. Song written for movie. Very nice. Uh, I am going to take the high road. Probably not super deeply connected to time, but it's got time in the title, uh, and it's a great song. It's Prince, Sign O the Times. That's going to be mine. Couldn't so, even afford an F. I, I, I know, but but there's I believe there's two apostrophes around the O, which I oh, question uh, lexically. But he's, it, he's it, a musician, Prince, not a Prince's not song titles have lots of crazy things about them. I'm not going to complain about the O. All right, we've reached the end. That's a half an hour of Clockwise in the book. Serenity Caldwell, thank you so much for coming back on, and I hope you feel better. I know you got a cold. Uh, I hope you feel better soon. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure as always. And Stephen Hackett, thank you for coming on. Now go back to your iTunes library and play through all your singles of the week from the past 11 years. I'm going to sync them over to my iPod Classic right now. <laughs> Very nice. Ah, stick them on an iPod Shuffle. What? Just keep it around for that own reason. Oh, Dan, we've reached the end again. We made it. Somehow they're still letting us do this show. Stephen and Mike are still letting us do this show. They're letting us do it live now, it, too. That's a great testament. It's a, it's a pleasure, as always. Nice talking to you. You, too. And we remind everybody out there, as always, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.